Well, hello there and welcome to a very special, unexpected, accidental pop-up edition of How to Wow, also known as How to Wow episode number 41. In this episode, we're joined by the one and only Noel Gallagher and in it, Noel has us captivated with Tales of Oasis historical gigs at Nebworth back in August 1996. It was a moment in time. A moment in music that defined the generation, elevated the band to the status of immortality and arguably marked the beginning and or the end of an era. So here in just a moment with the stories, the memories and plenty of laughs and more reflective than I've ever heard him, Noel Gallagher. But first, every morning Tash, my wife and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion. Deep seaweed green like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic Greens.com slash don't forget how to wow. The documentary Oasis Nebworth 1996 is an unmissable look at that exciting and vital coming together when all the stars aligned over an August weekend 25 years ago, almost to the day, with the stories, the memories, and plenty of laughs. Here he comes, the inimitable Noel Gallagher. Welcome, welcome. Um, so many questions. What a movie. Uh, before we get into how it came about, let's just cut to the chase here. Um, when you saw it uh, complete for the first time or as complete as it needed to be uh, for you to see what it was going to be like, ultimately, how did it make you feel? Uh, quite emotional and proud and uh, nostalgic. Um, three things that I don't really tend to feel. Uh well, I was, yeah, really, 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 yeah, nostalgic and really kind of like, um, yeah, looking back at those times of the 90s and that's kind of summed it all up, really. You probably remember the, the, the whole weekend better than most people that, that were there. Um, yeah, I remember the, yeah, I remember it being a very celebratory atmosphere. I mean, I don't remember the, the, uh, the you, know, you know, the, the finer nuances of it, but yeah, it was a great weekend. I mean, it, you know, it didn't rain. I mean, I think it rained for 10 minutes on the last night. But um, it was our... We didn't know it at the time, but it was our it was our zenith as a band. But um, the weekend itself, I remember being very celebratory and, and why wouldn't it be? And, uh, and, a, and, a, and a good way to spend a weekend. An amazing way to spend a weekend, uh, either on stage, off stage, backstage, wherever, just around and about. And so the first Oasis gig, was that a couple of years before the first ever gig that was recorded? The first... Uh, Oasis, so it, yeah, so Nebworth is 96. The first ever Oasis gig was, yeah, 94. Because there's footage of of that gig at the beginning of the film. 
Is there really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, but what's amazing for me was I thought, geez, that, I mean, that was an exponential, um, uh, uh, you know, rocket fueled rise to the top, wasn't rise. it? Yeah. I was talking to somebody last night and we, we bypassed the theatre circuit. We went from those indie nightclubs straight to arenas and then straight to outdoor gigs. So we never did the Brixtons and the Hammersmith Palais and the Apollos in Manchester. Which were all fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we got very big very, very quickly uh, through word of mouth and, and um, old school way, you know what I mean? Yeah, you say the old school way, but in thinking back, it's like, well, how, how was it possible for things to spread that quickly? But, of course, they did not just in the 90s, but back in the 60s with the Beatles, um, etc. which is sort of where all this kind of um, um, manic, ma- brilliantly manic, magnificently manic mania uh, to do with music sort of uh, erupted, was born, um, you know, uh, uh, came to be for the first time. What was the first arena gig you did and how how did you feel before that first arena gig was Sheffield Arena and it was just before some might say was gonna come out and a couple of months before we were playing a gig in York in uh, like a tiny club and our promoter Simon Moran after the sound check said, I want you to come and look at this place that's two miles up the road where we're gonna, we think we're going to put you on when some might say comes out. And I remember walking into Sheffield Arena and bursting out laughing <laughs> and was thinking, I mean, are you mad? And he was saying, and I was saying, you're going to set, it's not even in our hometown. I said, are you mad? And he said, oh, we could do quite a few nights. And I was, then I was like, wow. And then after that first arena gig, uh, we felt the song seemed to fit arenas better. And then it just snowballed from there. And... Yeah, within uh, within a year and a half, we were doing like the biggest gigs that ever that were ever put on. Okay, and obviously with that, you know, because that is that that is you know, um, you are on public show uh, like never before. And but the kernel of what you do is you know in the bedroom writing the songs or in the studio. And then th- there's a certain thing about the the comp the the sort of compartmentalization of that energy you know, in a tight space like in Sun Studios or wherever where special things happen. Mm. And when you, when, you, when you let that energy out, it's like letting the air out of a balloon. Mm. And so what effect did that have, you know, on the two-way street that is performance and writing and creation? Well, that, that's, that's, you know, you're kind of writing the songs in, in your bedroom and then you do them in the rehearsal room and you've got your own little <clears throat> unit and, you know, your band has five fans and you're all in it. And then bit by bit, you know, when Supersonic came out, and people started singing the words, we were like, oh, no, people are into it. You know what I mean? People are actually into it. Yeah, yeah. And then then with every release and every TV performance, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was a bona fide phenomenon. You know, nobody really knew, nobody really predicted it, and nobody knew where it was going to end. And uh, it was a joyous ride. You know, th- those were the glory days where every every six months was twice as mad as the previous yeah, six yeah, months yeah, yeah. and was just going crazy and then I you know the same as walking into Sheffield Arena you know they took me to Nebworth uh, you know and to look at this gig well and there's I, a bit in the film where he says he turned up in his uh, brown yeah, r- r- been, shadow you, wasn't it or something yeah, yeah I've been given a Rolls Royce by creation for Christmas because I'd made them all billionaires <laughs> and uh uh, like, we're on the way to Southampton to start a tour, and we stopped at Nebworth, and I and we kind of drove into this nothing, this nothingness, and I was saying, so where's the gig? And they're saying, well, this is it. And I was like, but yeah, but where? And they were saying, no, this is it everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, where's the stage going to be? And they said, well, the stage is going to be down there in a different county, you know. And um, 
was, I, I mean, I trusted my promoters and management completely yeah, yeah. and still do to this day. And I was like, okay, if you think it's going to, if you think it's going to work, it's going to work. But, um, they were, and then when you see the film, it's a, it's a brilliant snapshot of, you know, nobody with phones and, 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 Tweeting and then no, let's and get into film. that. Let's yeah. get into that. Okay, so, um, so, so, when was the idea muted of the Nebworth gigs? You know, the, can you recall the first conversation you had, uh, not with the word Nebworth in it, because obviously that was a, a later decision because it was like, okay, we're going to have these massive gigs where we're going to have them several options. How did the mega gig conversation come about? Well, well, we'd sold a lot of Morning Glory was signed a lot of records, right. and you know, these promoters they do that they do the numbers and i guess if you sell x amount of records they are confident they can shift x amount of tickets and the summer was coming up and i remember um there being there was going to be a big one in scotland and there was going to be a big one down south we'd already done main road it's gonna be a big one down south and it was either going to be donnington which we felt was too heavy metal or it was going to be some other big place we'd never heard of or nebworth and Nebworth appealed to us because Led Zeppelin had played there and Pink Floyd. Right. And it was just these were going to be our big summer gigs. We never thought anything of it. We never thought anything. We never thought we'd be sitting here talking about it 25 years later. Um, and, yeah, they were just, you know, the, the band were in a kind of a little, were, were in a little bubble and we were just kind of doing our thing. Ha- we, happy bubble? How happy? On a scale of 1 to 10? Well, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, if we, when you see the film... There's no, there's no. Uh, me and Liam are getting on great, and it's, uh, yeah, they were, they were, they were the, they were the best days, which is why the Supersonic documentary focused on that period of it, because the fallout hadn't started to happen then. But, um, I, you know, we we had a complete trust in the people around us, and if they said we we're going to do this, we why, did, were, why did you pause then? What were you reflecting on then? Uh, well, because we, because it, because it didn't end great, you know. It was, this, it was a slow death. It was a death by a thousand arguments, you know. Yeah. But, um. At that time, you know, you see it in the film, there's a great camaraderie between the band and its fans on stage. Um, and I'm glad that it didn't come out at the time. I'm glad it's coming out now, so yeah. I, all of us have got a little bit more perspective about it. It's great. I mean, that's that's very interesting that you say that. You know, all of us, and you pointed at yourself then, all of us have got a, a bit more um, perspective about it. Mm. Just speak to that a bit more, if you don't mind. Well, if if we'd have filmed it... And it had come out at the time. Yep. Obviously, we wouldn't be sat here now doing this. And we, we wouldn't have a perspective looking back on the 90s for what they were right. and, the, and, and the way society is now and all the things that have changed the world, the internet and, and all the all, you know, mobile phones and all that. So that would be a done thing now and it would be gone. So it's, 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 it's nice that, it, that we left it uh, alone for this amount of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can look back and discuss... For me, like the the you know what I what I found really fascinating is this: is if you look at the makeup of the crowd, they don't look physically that different than people today, right? The hairstyles are kind of the same, and the clothes are kind of the same, and it's the kind of makeup of a fe- you know a festival crowd. So that's twenty five years ago. But if you were to go twenty five years back from nineteen ninety six, it's another planet. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all black and white and greased there and everybody dressed like their parents. And I think that youth culture has slowed down a lot now, whereas not, bar the internet, not a great deal has happened in youth culture in the last 25 years. So um, 
Was it always going to be two gigs? Was it always going to be two nights? Or was it, let's see how one goes and then... We'll no, it was solve. always going to be two. Right. There was always going to be two. Yeah. And it, it's been said since it could have been seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, yeah, it could have, we could have done seven. And uh, two, two million people trying to get tickets. Yeah. That's that day. Yeah, it's mad. And um, I remember coming off stage and being in the dressing room with all the promoters and all the band and friends and that, and one of the, one of the promoters saying, so what now? And I was like, you know, with the, <laughs> the bravado of youth and Guinness. How about a beer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll do it next year. We'll do five nights next year. And one of the promoters, I remember him saying to me, yeah, we could, we could actually do five nights next year because we'll be able to sell the tickets over the internet. And I was like, what's that? No way. And he was saying, yeah, the internet, we could sell tickets now because there's a way of doing it. And he, and he outlined this thing. And I was like, the internet? <laughs> That's never going to catch on. The internet. Who'd want to be contactable 24 hours a day? Who in their right mind would want that? <laughs> and uh, as we sit here today now in your little evil black fridge that goes everywhere with you is your boss you know um so so before the gig i mean you know again amazing exclusive because it's your film and you, your band and it's your your motion picture and um you know you have the keys uh, to the kingdom as it were from a, a vault and archive point of view you seem really relaxed you know th- there's a sense of focus but you didn't seem that nervous backstage what's great about these massive events that you and I uh, both lucky enough to have been involved in is that actually, you know, there's a ring of steel, there's chaos often, you know, gorgeous, happy chaos, hopefully, uh, around what's going on. But when the band make the way from the backstage area to the stage, it's just the band. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you could be walking for a bus yeah. because there's this sort of cavernous nothingness between where people are... The, the, the limits of where people are allowed to be and then the microphones and the guitars. And that, just talking about that now makes yeah. me... That, that moment, there's a moment, isn't there, where yeah. there's maybe one security guard or a yeah, the yeah. stage manager. Well, there, there, there's when, you know, we, we, we always just have people backstage before the gig to relieve the tension of kind of just walking around in circles. and um, Waiting. Yeah, it's the, you know, there's, there's the knock on the door and uh, the tour manager will say to everybody, it's 30 minutes, you've all got to leave. And then there's that half an hour where you start to get ready and then it's just usually the five band and a couple, and a couple of you and that's it. And it's the seven core people. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we... What's that walk like? Just describe that walk for us if you don't mind. Um, for me personally, I used to get very excited and... Uh, not nervous. I was very excited about it. I knew that I wasn't going to be required to do on the stage anything that I'd not done a thousand times. I knew that, you know, the albums had sold bucket loads. All we've got to do is turn up and be ourselves here. Liam would always sweat buckets. Always, always sweat. Buckets. Usually more before than after. He was. He seemed more relaxed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. after oh, the yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used to, used to, he used to get nervous before gigs. And Bonehead used to get nervous. I never used to get nervous. Um, but the walk is I guess I've always I've always liked that thing. I've always liked that thing. I don't know what I don't, I find it difficult to explain. I guess because I because I wrote the songs I I I I would get more nervous in the studio because I've got to get this I've yeah, got to yeah. get this idea coming out of these speakers. So the gigs were always just a bonus for me. Okay. And that walk uh, was it different to it to any other moment or is it similar or just the same but but, but more sort the, of exaggerated? I'd say it was no different to the one at Main Road, even though it was three times the size. It was Main Road, obviously, it was a warm-up kick for Nebworth. It sounds <laughs> yeah, mad, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. What did you learn at Main Road that helped you at Nebworth? Well, that we could do it. It's a first-ever stadium gig, and it was in April in Manchester. I don't know what genius thought that would be a great idea. Um, <laughs> and, it, and, it, you know, and it was cold and it rained. But No way. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but, it, 
But it, it, it um, for me, it proved that the songs that I that we'd written and come up with in this rehearsal room, which is the size of a toilet, could fill these huge rock arenas. Um, and uh, yeah, and the fans just embraced it. You know, they just the fans got on board and embraced it. And out of the out of those that all out of those summer of those gigs, although Nebworth was the biggest main road is kind of the one you know yeah, of if, like if nebworth is morning glory main road was definitely maybe you know it's a, it, uh, and it was a it was a more contained and a great 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 atmosphere and it's the first time we've done a stadium and it's amazing like walking out on that stage having been at that football ground since i was 7 years old and watched my heroes and to walk out on the stage and get a standing ovation, you know, in your in your hometown is kind of like it doesn't literally never it just doesn't get any better than that. So I suppose that helped massively with nerves as far as Nebworth is concerned. So um, attire for the for the night. So you went on you because <laughs> I know you think about these things. You yeah. went on in a jumper for yeah. night one, and Liam went on in that amazing white coat of his, yeah. which was a bit E seventeen actually looking back on him. I but it was, I think it was a linen safari jacket. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but he did look like somebody a I rock star who just yeah, you know yeah, descended yeah. from heaven, yeah, rock yeah, and roll yeah. heaven. Yeah, tell us about the choice of tell us about you know everything to do with well i got that. i uh i don't i don't know where those clothes are now and i don't know for the life of me why i was wearing a red jumper <laughs> with black and white stripes on it and then i bought uh, well have you got this in any other colors i've got it in white and it's like and it is the man united home and away kit oh my god right so i don't know what i was doing there but um they wanted us to uh wear the same clothes every night for continuity and the thing. And we, we were like, no, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? There's for, for movies and yeah, things for, like that. Yeah, when it being filmed. But, um, I yeah, Bonehead looks like he's going to pick his car up from the airport. Or go for an interview yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. But Griggs, I mean, you can, Griggs was never the most animated of people ever. You just have to look at him sometimes and think, is he, is he I, can, I can hear the bass coming out of the speakers, but I can't actually see him doing yeah. anything. And, um, Alan was always kind of quite up for it, Whitey, but uh, yeah, Liam looked by far and away the best out of all of us. He looked like, but then he's only got the one job anyway. Yeah, you know, it's to look. <laughs> but to the look next, good. but the next night he went for a jumper as well. He, yeah, he went for like some. It's uh, like an Aaron, wasn't it? An Aaron yeah, sweater. It, yeah, it was like some uh, roll neck. Yeah, like like some of the Dubliners might have wore. <laughs> yeah, uh, or the spinners. Yeah, the spinners. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but he even managed to pull that off. Yeah. You know, so I think. There's great bits in the film of like seeing Keith Flint, you know, God bless his soul. Oh, let's talk about let's talk about that now because yeah. we got we got all this to come if you if you have the time. Yeah. So 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 the lineup for Saturday and Sunday. Um, tell us, did you choose the bands? Were you instrumental in that? Let's go. Through, do you mind me if we go through the yeah, lineup? Yeah. Here we go. So Saturday, the Bootleg Beatles. Why the heck not? By the way, oh, yeah. Chemical Brothers, Ocean Colour Scene, Manix, Prod- uh, Prodigy, and then and then your good selves. Just tell us about the the composition of that lineup. Well, we we wouldn't we wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have approached anybody but we would you know and when a list is put in front of us we were like well we're not playing with them so um yeah you know we can get this is going to be the lineup and we were like yeah we we asked for the bootleg beatles because they're always good to get crowd brilliant by the way and uh the prodigy were obviously the biggest thing since sliced bread at that time and the bill over the entire two days was a who's who of Britpop, bar blur and pulp i think Pulp couldn't do it because they'd just got back from America, but they were they were at the gig, and Blur didn't do it for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> and um, but no, we didn't choose the bands. But you know, when all this has been put together, and I, I 
seen the original poster and was like, wow, £16.50 to see all that. That was at Main Road. It's £22.50 for Nemeth. Oh, was it £22? All right, yeah. £22.50. I was like, what would that gig be worth now? I know. You know, like £222.50. But um, I was I was fascinated by... When you hear uh, some of the fans being interviewed then and then they've interviewed them now and one of the guys is saying well, these guys walked on stage and the prodigy and I'd never heard of them. And I was like, you've never heard of them? What? Where have you been? You know, and um, they were going, they started playing this music and they said they looked really frightening, you know. And uh, I mean, the prodigy were great that day, as were the Chemical Brothers. As, as were all of them, actually. No, they were all fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but um, pro- the prodigy nearly nicked it from you, didn't they? they yeah. Because a lot of the crowd didn't, weren't, they may have been aware of the prodigy, but they probably hadn't heard their songs, uh, let alone seen them live. Yeah. And, and the footage of the prodigy playing and the crowd's reaction, that was, that was in the daylight. Yeah, in the daylight. I mean, to achieve yeah. that before the, before yeah. the sunset, yeah. that's a, it's sort of impossible, really, yeah. to get that kind of reaction. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I love the prodigy. I love Liam and I loved Keith and, um, and they were uh, actually that you know what they knew they knew they were great and they had that attitude of like okay all right well we'll see who follows us then kind of thing and it's a good yeah, job yeah. it was <laughs> the era defining band they had that and I like that when bands are like that you know what I mean so do I and uh, there's a great there's a great bit in it where there's a sea of people and Keith Flint's gone out into the crowd and you can just see his green little green hair and he's getting in the faces of all these. Uh, all these kids, it's its really... I mean, they were a fantastic band. Like, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do without him, you know. OK, so that was Saturday. Sunday's lineup: Cooler Shaker, Dread Zone, um, Cast, the Charlatans, Manic Street Preachers, and then yourselves. Yeah, that was yeah, that was more of the guitar one, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the previous night with the Chemical Brothers and uh, the Prodigy was a bit of a electronic thing. Um... Dread Zone has always been a point of contention when we see this. Is like, who booked Dread Zone? <laughs> well, good for them. Yeah, no, I mean, but they always get, and they had they had a tune out at the time which was great. I can't remember what it was. I can't for the life of yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember what it was. And uh, Dread Zone, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I have no idea. Unless it was a record company thing. I don't know. But right. um, if you're listening, anybody from Dread Zone, well done. <laughs> so, um, so, so the weekend's approaching. Um, uh, the, what was what was your memory of the ticket frenzy? I can't remember how many weeks before that was. Um, it was on the news. Two million people applying for tickets. Amazing footage and redramatization of the things that were going on. People had to phone for tickets. Uh, people were phoning up operators, uh, saying that they couldn't get through. The operators were putting them through. Uh, people were trying to get other lines engaged so their calls could yeah. get through. Then there was cash. There were checks. Uh, credit cards. I'm yeah. not even sure. Credit cards was featuring then in, yeah. in the purchase of all these tickets, twenty two pound fifty. Um, what is your? It's on the news. It was on the news then. It was on the the gig itself was on the news. The whole weekend was on the news. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember in the like the month leading up to it. I don't remember that. But I do remember on the weekend itself it being heavily. Uh, actually, it was on. I remember it when they did the weather. And they did the weather forecast for the gig for the at, gig. The gig at is, Nebworth. That's so cool. Which is actually the coolest thing ever. I remember I was sat at home watching it. And, uh, and you're Nebworth. And, and we're now going the... to Chris with the weather. And Chris is going, and in Scotland it's raining, and it's raining. And for the for the Oasis show at Nebworth this weekend, it will be nice and sunny until 7 o'clock on Sunday evening. And I was like, no, we're on the weather. But um, I remember it being the the 
application for tickets being a thing, but I wasn't I wasn't really immersed in that kind of stuff. So Saturday night's over. Um, it finishes at quarter to eleven. There's the fireworks and the curfew. What happens on Saturday night backstage? Bearing in mind you've got to do it all again yeah. on Sunday. Well, we have to try and manfully keep a lid on it. Liam has always claimed he didn't know there was a second night, which is which is a nice line and all that, but. It, <laughs> You know, it's a good, it's a line you you got to envy that yeah, line. Yeah, he, he sort of managed it's to bring a, a suitcase line. full of clothes, though. You know, um, uh, but uh, I remember going. We all had we had like a communal area where we were all hanging out, and then we had separate Winnie Bagos where we had to go and sleep. And so you stayed there. Yeah, they wouldn't let us off site because they knew if we went Ouch. back to London. Yeah. Uh, there's a good chance that either one of us might not make it back. Or all of you. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, the other lads would have been all right. I mean, as you probably were, me and Liam were kind of loose cannons at that point. Uh, so we kind of sat and, and had something to eat and, and discussed. That, that must have been interminable, interminable in its own way. Yeah, well, I remember that. I remember the next day getting up uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't really hungover and I was like, what am I going to do f- for a shower? And uh, they took me up to the mansion, Nebworth House, and they showed me into this room. And, the, and I, I don't, I'd never had a bath since I was about seven years old, right? And uh, this butler is there, and he runs, he runs me a bath, right? And I'm kind of like, all right, mate. And he's running this bath, and how would you like the water, sir? And I'm like, I don't know. Kind of, I'm digging my elbow in. And I was going, yeah, that's good. So off he went, and I'm in the bath. And there was another knock on the door, and I was like, yes? And he said, uh, can I come in, sir? And he came in, and he had a glass of champagne and a bottle of sparkling mineral water. And I'll never forget that the mineral water on the label didn't say, like, sparkling. It said, delightfully sparkling. Yeah. And I was like, this is it now. Mineral water has now become delightful for me. Please tell me he now works for you, that butler. <laughs> and uh, he, um, yeah, sat drinking champagne in the bath thinking... <laughs> Well, this is great. I only signed off 18 months ago. Unbe- this is amazing. Unbe- what a moment. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, truly. Um, so what time was that about? That would have been about, I don't know, 11 o'clock, and then right. would have gone off to catering to get something to eat, and then... And then are you killing time or are you filling time? What are you uh, doing? Killing time. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a long day then until um, until you, you're you on stage at 8 o'clock. And that can be exhausting, can't it? Doing nothing can be exhausting. Yeah. I like to, if there's stuff to do, like interviews, I like to get involved in that because it breaks the time up. Yeah, yeah. So it was being broadcast all around uh, Europe on radio, so there was a bit of there was a bit of that to do. And then uh, there's guests to see, but I, when it's a long day like that and there's nothing to do, I, you, you can get a bit... I used to worry for Liam because if he's got more than 30 seconds on his hands, he starts boozing, you know. Um, But I think the second night was better, in my own recollection. Tell me why. Well, you're more relaxed. The second night's when we always did these big gigs, big stadium gigs, right up to the end. The first night is always the second night that goes on sale, right? So what happens is you'll do a a gig, and if you're going to do two nights, so if you're doing it on a Saturday night, the Friday night is always held just in case. So uh, the, the the second night is always the rabid fans who've, who've gone out of their way to get tickets first. And you're more relaxed because you've done the gig the night before. Right. And there's just like the pressure is kind of off, yeah. you know. And I always enjoyed the second night more. 
Um, and then because you know you're going to have the after party, and then uh, you know you've got to keep a bit in the tank for that. Yeah, yeah. And um, and they get to a certain point in the gig, not that I've ever done it, but I imagine within the set itself, where you're on the home straight, and it's just come yeah, on now. Like, yeah. we're, we're all we're now having the party on yeah. stage. Yeah. Well, you can see that on the on on the footage of uh, of Nebworth with about you know the last quarter of the gig. We know we're in the home straight. Me and Liam. Are, fanning about on stage and it's all it's a bullet that there are I will warn you now when you watch it um I'm talking to you listening to the radio I do get carried away with mentioning that this is a historic night I tend to say it about every once every five minutes so when I was doing the thing the edit with the director was going can we take one of these out and he was saying no it doesn't really work in between every song I was hell bent on letting everybody know in the world that this was the most historic moment in all our lives well I think you're hearing that louder than I heard yeah. just so you know if it makes you feel any better <laughs> yeah I'm just like shouting this is history um <laughs> But, uh, you, but you were right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I was. I, I don't. I, that was my. I don't, I don't know whether I was. I don't know. I don't know why I, I kept saying. I should say it once. You know, I, <laughs> I very rarely speak on stage. Anyway, as it is, um, I don't know why that was. But uh, and I remember the. Remember the after show of the second night. It started raining at the after show, so we were all in uh, this tent, and there's lots of backslapping, and everybody was, uh, you know, and then we ended up going. We left the site, I don't know, I think the sun was coming up, and we got back to London and we're reading all the newspapers and, and the fallout of it. And then literally, I think we had a week off and then it was right, we were off to America or something, you know, and to, um, so we were just like back into it. So we never really got to see the actual fallout of it, you know. Yeah, well, it was amazing. It wasn't fallout, it was like sort of afterburn. It was yeah. fantastic. So what about the set list? You know, because as good as any band is and as much as their fans want to see them, there is that furore, and, you know, and never before or since more than at Nebworth, you know, on that, that, that second weekend in August in 1996. You, but, you know, we as human beings, we get used to things very quickly. So 20 minutes in, you've got to start thinking about, OK, where do we go with this? How about the rhythm of the gig? Tell me, mm. about, tell me about the order of the songs because you know at the end of the film you know it occurs to you that you left out rock and roll i mean i i, I, I was so angry with myself <laughs> 25 years later okay let's go back before we talk about that so t tell us about about so the gig yeah so yeah so uh so luckily we only had two albums out and a bunch of b-sides which helps I yeah which helps so you're kind of the gig's an hour and 45 minutes so those two albums are about an hour back to back and you've got some b-sides so uh, we would have done. We would have done Main Road and seen what worked. Did you change it around? I think we changed it a little bit. I think, as I remember, at Main Road we came on. We came on and did uh, Swamp Song off the. And then I can't remember. And then we did Acquiesce first, I think. And I think at Nebworth we came on and did Columbia. Uh, but yeah, but when I was kind of uh, looking at the set list, I was like, we didn't do Rock and Roll Star. I know. What on earth was that? And the guy was going to me, whose choice would that have been? I was like, oh, that would have been my choice. And he was saying, why would you not do it? And I was like, I, I can't, I, I don't, I'm trying to be clear, I don't know. I mean, what, I wouldn't do a, an Oasis gig now without rock and roll. So that'd be the first thing you do. And uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't work it. I can't work out what the thought process would have been behind. I mean, it. you say in the film right at the end, uh, just before the uh, before the knock, the final knockings, you say maybe I was trying to be clever. Um, which is is that's so not that even that sentence is not like you. Yeah, but I like I can't work out why, and then I can't work out why we did two songs off Be Here Now, which 
wasn't even out, wasn't going to be out for another year. Mm. So I don't, I, I don't know. I'm really angry. What was, with you, what was your favourite moment? Uh, because when you sit down, a couple of moments for me. Um, well, it's it, by the way, it's it's a fantastic film. Though. I'm not it's, just saying that because you. Yeah. It is honestly, you, everybody's got to see this. You got to see this film for so many life affirming reasons. Because I said before we came on the air that to know that it made me both happy and sad. But I don't know why it made me particularly sad. But we'll talk about that. In a bit. But um, for me, the two standout moments to do with the music were um, when you dedicate a song to Richard Ashcroft, because that's mm. really interesting for mm. me. And um, uh, when you sit down and you start singing Master Plan. Um, and I, I also, Cigarettes and Alcohol for me is a bookend to Master Plan in a way, because it's, it's, you know, there's the greyness of, yeah. of nothing going on and there's the Master Plan of the potential of everything going on. Yeah. I love that juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, tell us about the Richard Ashcroft uh, dedication and tell us about you sitting down to sing Master well, Plan. Well, Richard uh, was close to the band at the time and uh, the Verve, were they called the Verve then? Or were they just called Verve? I'd split up for the second time and he was definitely going to go solo. So when I wrote Cast No Shadow, the lyrics of that uh, are about a guy who's given everything to his life and he's got nothing left. Cast No Shadow, sang through him. And, I, and on, the, on the sleeve notes for Morning Glory, I dedicated that song to him. I didn't write it about him. I dedicated it to him, as, as you would dedicate a song at a gig to him. So we dedicated him to him at the gig and uh and he wasn't there for some reason i don't know why um and what was it that was second part well, you, no so 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 the first no so the second part to do with that is the fact that you dedicated the song to him but then you said and by the way you shared the dedication you and liam so you'd obviously talked about it and then you say um get your act get your act together you don't say yeah but, so so was that like a, well we well richard was always the i think i don't the verb was they were a kind of a jamming kind of space rock band. And I think Richard had started to write songs. And, uh, yeah, we were just saying, well, come on, mate, this is your time, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and off he went and, went and wrote Urban Hymns, you know. So, um, so well done, it worked. Yeah, so <laughs> Shout thank, out to your yeah, mate at the so right can, time. So you can thank me for that. Uh, you know, and what about Master welcome. Plan? What about you sitting down to... Because the, we'll talk about the fans in a second or two um, who are very much the sort of um, uh, uh, voice track to, to the documentary, mm. which is just so beautiful. The fact they were there then being vox popped in the crowd and somebody found these people, you know, uh, in the here and the now as far as, you know... 2020, 2021's concern, or whenever they were re-interviewed. Um, but um, the the comments that some of the fans make about Master Plan, about you know, about you you sit down and and it all goes quiet and it went deathly quiet. And you mm, mentioned yeah. you said that on stage. The hush, yeah, yeah. And it was it was it was <laughs> they weren't bored. That's for sure. It was an expectant hush, like they almost knew uh, what was going to happen. I mean, was that was that the standout or standout sit down moment for you at the gig? Well. <laughs> That, that song is great, and I know what it means to people and all that, but I'm watching the film, and I'm thinking, who's the guy with the harmonica? Who, why, why, is, why is he playing all over my song? And I was saying to uh, to Marcus, my, who's been my manager ever since day one, I was like, why, why have we got an harmonica player? And he was going, I have no idea. And I was like, what? Why did that, how did that happen? And he's like, I have no idea. And another thing, we're kind of like, there's, there's loads of people on stage... Loads of like string players, and I'm like, what are all these people doing? It's like, <laughs> you wanted them, <laughs> and uh, but the, the master plan, yeah, it's kind of along with uh, Wonderwall and, and uh, Don't Look Back in Anger and Live Forever. It's up there with 
the great Oasis songs. And you're right. That that's that used to be one of my favourite bits of an Oasis set. Because uh, Liam would sing the previous song and then he'd walk off. Uh, and uh, so people would know that one of the songs that I sing was going to come out. So it was either going to be Half the World Away or Don't Look Back in Anger or The Master Plan at that point. So there was there was like a hush. And um, there is a, there's a points in the film where, you know, there's a, there's a, they've interviewed, like Chris just said, they've interviewed people then and they found them now. And there's one of like a guy who was there with his brother to watch these two brothers and he's saying his brother's now passed away and all that. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And um, to hear the fans stories of their journey to Nebworth and then at Nebworth and then where they are in their life. It was kind of like really emotional for me because um, we're all in our 50s now, you know what I mean? And, and life has changed so much. And um, not not I never, I never took for granted what Oasis meant to people and what still means to people, but my God, it brings it home what, what it actually, what it actually was all about, you know? Um, and I'm glad I didn't realise it then. It might have been too much, you know, that people devoted their lives to this band. It might have been too much pressure for me to keep writing, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, God bless them. God bless them. They made it what it was. So did you see... Well, of course you did. Um, one of my favourite bits of the film, um, if you can have favourite bits in a film, because it's just a chunk of joy, um, is when the girl in the audience, she's asked by one of the filmmakers on the day, if you could give them anything, what would you give them? And she says, I would give them the power to be invisible so they could enjoy this. Come out yeah, and enjoy it. Yeah, amazing quote, that, oh, isn't it? Wow. Unbelievable. So yeah. cool, isn't it? Yeah, and I was like, if anybody's got that gift, can I have that, please? <laughs> Strictly just to buy underwear without being... Can I get a quick picture, please? Um, but, yeah, the power to be invisible so they could so they could, so they they could, could feel what we... But what a generous, yeah. selfless, profound yeah, thought yeah, yeah, in the yeah. middle of that That's madness. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what she's, she's doing for a living now. Who knows? Probably, but with thoughts like that going probably around, making algorithms, for yeah, an, an arms dealer. But such wisdom. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was out of nowhere. Yeah, wasn't it? That was so well, that, such a cool thing. Again, to say. I was talking to you before we started. The, the the makeup of the crowd is all split boys and girls. Yeah, yeah. Seems equally to me, and Oasis, f- for whatever reason, rightly or wrong, wrongly, towards the end had fallen into this yobbish kind of thing where it became a lads thing, and. Uh, but at that point, um, up to Nebworth, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a cross section of boys and girls, you know, and older people and younger people. Whereas in the two thousands, it became something else, you know, it became like this yobbish call card, I think. But I mean, thank God that that little period of Oasis has been captured on film forever. Well, it's like the pyramids, isn't it? You know, the pyramids were built for a reason mm. and then it became a tourist attraction. Yeah. Not, it's not <laughs> it's not a similar. Yeah. Um, and uh, the obvious question is... Not the obvious question. How much do we get paid? <laughs> oh, no, that is a good question, actually. <laughs> I don't know, I have no idea. <laughs> you brought it up, not me. I have no idea. But I can't believe Simon was still, was doing that, doing what he's doing now so well still. But then I knew he was in the business and I knew he was, he was connected with you, Simon Moran, who's, who's one of the best promoters in the world. Yeah. Um, but he was... Oh, my goodness. Well, he, he promoted our first ever gig, right? And I'd known Simon because he had uh, an office in this office block where I was working, when I was working for Inspiral Carpets. And used to kind of see him in the... There's a little... Uh, like canteen bit there and I used to see him and oh what are you up to oh I started a band all oh, right what are you called Oasis oh you any good 
uh, yeah, we're all right kind of thing. And he did our first ever gig, you know, and if anybody is a bar outside of the five, six members of the band is responsible for what we became as a live act. He was it. He, he had the foresight to put us in arenas and stadiums and, you know, big stately homes and stuff yeah. like that. And also, he's not phased by it. And also, so, you know, to create great excitement, often you have to be the least excited person oh, yeah. in, in, the, in the band or the yeah. company, as it yeah, were. Yeah, you've got to detach yourself from it and just say, we can, this is what we can do. And uh, the band have to get on board with it, you know, and um, and we did. And, uh, and not dissimilarly for you on, on stage, because, you know, if you're giving the party, you can't necessarily have the party. You can to a certain point and you can meet the party not halfway even, but you can meet it somewhere where it works. But if you sort of overstay or overplay your welcome at your own gig, yeah, yeah, then yeah. it can go horribly wrong. Yeah. Well, I was good at... I was I was always good at running a band. I was always good at keeping everybody level-headed, you know, um, about where we were at and where we were going and where we'd come from and what it means. I was always... I was always very good at getting everybody together, making sure we were all rehearsed, you know, and we're not gonna walk out there, you know, like ninety percent of the bands and we're just gonna we're just gonna jam it out on stage, you know. This might be the one gig I always thought that this might be the one gig that people come to in their lives it might be the one gig, so let's make it the best the best the best night of their lives. Or, or let's try and make it as as good as it can possibly be. Um so I was always good. I, I was, I was, I was on top of it. I was aware of it. I knew what we were, and uh, I kind of, I, I was, I was cool with it, man. Imagine if it was the first gig you ever went to, because it would have been for some people. Yeah. Imagine if that was yeah. your first. Where'd you go from there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I have no just idea. Good luck. Just good luck with everything. Yeah, good luck with everything. And, and, and to be, and the thing I guess why, when you were saying you feel sadness about it and I, I felt a bit like because there's nothing like that anymore yeah. you know and particularly in the world which we live in now post internet and social media and when people say oh you guys should do Nebworth again it's like trust me it was never going to be the same you know it's never going to be the same then that's because collectively 125,000 people on both nights were in the moment because there was no there was no distraction there was just connection and that's the difference yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah. you know because because we they were all connected together you were you you were sort of um you were uh, directing what's that called conducting Or you orchestrating. Were, yeah orchestrating the the obviously the music and the band on stage but also the vibe and the vibration the vibe is the vibration of people and you can see that you're all the whole thing the audience the band on stage everybody around at times almost for the whole two hours you're moving as one it's yeah. it's a it's a one giant organism yeah. and you say on, on on the documentary you know the oasis you know we're all quite we were all quite good but we were we were never that amazing we were much more than the the sum of our parts yeah, was, was much, much more, more than what we are yeah than what we are and that that doesn't matter because that's how that's how that's um that's chemistry that's that's what happens um that special things happen when you you combine what may seem like pretty sober inane um uh energy together and you think no no because you don't know but if that goes with that then wait you know wait five seconds boom and you add the audience in there for, for you know for, for that two hours it was just so special it is so special What it what is that like? You know, one of Rich's lyrics: "Music is power." Yeah, mm. you know, and with great power comes great responsibility. What does that feel like, Noel? I, you can only really get a handle on it in hindsight. Uh, in the, in the moment, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to tell you in the moment. I would have made some flippant comment. But in hindsight, you know, I know, I know, as you can imagine, I know a lot of people in bands, big bands, medium-sized bands, small bands. <laughs> they never, ever will experience something like that. Not because they're not good enough, they're amazing. Just because we had something with our fans at that point that we hadn't been paid yet, right? So none of us were millionaires. We were still in the same circumstances as our audience. We still looked like our audience. I hadn't yet bought a fur coat and a top hat. And uh, there's just the it's a, it's a it's a magic time. It's a magic time, and it's a you only you only realise the privilege of what it was looking back on it. And I'm so happy that we didn't take it for granted either. You know, we put on a good show and kept on putting on good shows and kept trying to do our best. Uh, and it, you know, it, the proof is in the pudding now. I could pick up, I could pick up a phone now. I could call somebody, anybody now, and give it the green light, and the world would stand still. And it's because of, of the legacy of the band, you know. Can I uh, read an email out? Yes. To you that um, I received from my friend Noah Fitzpatrick, the super vet, last night, because I. Um, I actually, I hope you don't mind this, but I, I um, forwarded him the, the encoded link to the movie. Because oh, Noel's a massive fan, yeah. uh, huge fan, loves his rock and roll. And um, I, I think he needed it, right. to be honest. And then, um, so I come into work today and he says uh, to this email from Noel, he sent me this at quarter past one this morning. I think Oasis at Nebworth was the greatest musical event ever to happen in the UK. Couldn't get a ticket to go at the time, and I listened to a bootleg recorded on a cassette tape by someone I knew who went. I was mesmerised. Did you see any cassette tapes were played recorded in the audience uh, going I, on? I, not, I can't say. No, right. no. Uh, well, it obviously was happening, thank God. Uh, maybe someone will offer Noel £150 million to get back on stage with his brother, who I think he really, really loves so much that the fine line was crossed in that rarefied creative ether of mad, messed-up genius. I think they're brothers who love each other on a level way deeper than whatever emotional pain happened when they said things they probably shouldn't have said. Life is short. I dreamt once that both Liam and Noel had dogs. You know he's the super vet. He's the vet. Right. Uh, who both got sick at the same time, and they were both sitting in my waiting room at my <laughs> referral practice, at opposite ends of the waiting room, ignoring each other. And I went out and just looked at them both. The dogs, the dogs are ignoring each other. Yeah. <laughs> and the owners. And insisted they came into my room together. They did because they both wanted their dogs to be all right. And in there, they realised unconditional love is all that matters in anything musical medicine, like the dogs. I just wanted everything to be all right. And in my dream, it was. Boys who create a song like Sad Song have to love each other deeply. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know what the point of that is. But, uh, but it, yeah, people on the outside looking in, it's difficult for them to explain. I get that. Uh, it's difficult for me to explain sometimes. But... In terms of the legacy of the band, since we split in 2009, the legacy of the band has got more solid and strong and bigger and wider reaching than it ever did. And, you know, some things are best left crystallised in that moment, I think. And I think if there was to be uh, a gig, something extraordinary some extraordinary set of circumstances would have had to have happened for us to be walking on stage again. Um, I'm, I'm at peace with it all. 
I love Oasis. It's the proudest achievement of my life. Um, but it's like once you've done it once, you've done it, you know. And I felt at the time it was a special thing, you know. And you can't, you can't, you can't keep going back there. And um, obviously, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. But uh, as I sit here today, it doesn't. It, it, a reunion doesn't appeal to me. And as for Liam. He's doing his thing. He's he's like he's he's responsible for the legacy being what it is. You know, he's keeping the flame alive and all that, and good for him. And uh, you know, he's doing massive gigs. He's selling more records than I am, and he's selling more tickets than I am, if you can believe that. Uh, so he's doing his thing, and I'm doing mine, and we're both pretty happy doing that at the moment. Things are all quiet on the Western Front, Twitter. Uh, so long may that continue. And good morning, if you're listening. I know you're listening. I know you're my biggest fan. Um, uh, but yeah, it's all good. Because we thought we were playing with it earlier on, right? Just and this is just you can ignore all this, you know. If if you were, if you did something at Nebworth again, right? Because you do have Sophia who who reads the news, right? Mm. She's twenty seven, right? Biggest Oasis fan in the world, right? Mm. Um, I think it might be a bit sad if you know it's like the Beach Boys if we all go in our Hawaiian shirts and we're seventy five on stage and off stage. That's not going to work. But we said, how about an age limit of twenty seven? The the iconic, <laughs> you know, rock and roll age for so many reasons. You twenty seven or under to go to the gig, and um, no mobile phones, nothing, and just. <laughs> I don't know. Would well, that be magnificent? Well, I mean, yeah. Would I that mean, work? I was talking to someone about. I get asked about reunion a lot, and. I'm, and I say to people, look, Oasis was not. We weren't from that the digital age. We were not. We were. We were the last great band of the analog era. Well, what about what about doing Edward again for three nights of one And but mobile phones not allowed. You, you get chucked out. Can't do it. Couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. I did. I did a gig a couple of years ago in Bethnal Green, in uh, in York Hall, where there was no phones allowed. They had to put them in a. You had to put them in a holster yeah. and that. Yeah. It was one of the best gigs I ever did, and people don't realise what a difference it makes. But the vastness of people that Oasis could attract would make it impossible. Make it Nothing's possible. impossible, mate. Yeah. Well, you say that. You say that. Bonehead getting his hair back—that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing, isn't it? Because you, you see, you see a 1996 self, and you think, "Oh, right. well, well." I mean, I've seen bands who come back. First of all, you've got to be blind drunk because they all walk on stage and they're all kind of fat and balding and you're like, okay, just let me shut my eyes here now yeah. and see this. And I remember going to see the Sex Pistols. I'm a Sex Pistols fan, huge fan. I love I love all those guys. I look, John's one of my heroes and Steve and Paul are great. I went to see them at Finsbury Park, but I still haven't seen the Sex Pistols. Yeah, you know, I get it. I get yeah. it entirely. I still haven't seen them because I, I've seen them do that gig. You know, and Sex Pistols are not a stadium band. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're a nightclub band. So uh, I've seen them. Yeah, I haven't seen them. I've seen them. I've seen John, Paul, Steve and Glenn, but I haven't, I've never seen the Sex Pistols. I think, and, and, you know, Nebworth again, just, you know, but, but without the phones. And, you know, if you go and you've got a phone, then you're a Muppet. You know, people can be searched, whatever. But I think people would be up for it. I think people would go, yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it up. If I can get a ticket, I'll give it up. For, for... They you know what, do you know what is interesting about that night? It's that over... Oasis had a reputation, of course. And over that weekend, there was one arrest. I know, I heard One that. arrest, and it was for somebody... And that was Liam. <laughs> <laughs> it was somebody, like, urinating in a bush. And I was like, they got Nick for that. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, because I always had this reputation there was going to be this huge, chaotic violence. But yeah, one arrest. I was quite proud of that. Actually. 
Well, look, we've talked for an hour solid. It's been awesome. I could carry on talking to you um, all day about many, many things, but this is a great film. It's a great film. T um, people are going to go and see it anyway. Tell them why you, you want them to go and see it. Uh, because it's a snapshot of a time that was much simpler and youth culture was more defined and it is a band on the cusp of absolute global superstardom and a nation on the cusp of coming out of Thatcherism and into New Labour. And yes, it's just a it's a it's a historical it's a historical snapshot of uh, of the nineties summed up there in that thing, the hedonism and the the, the the joy and the hope in the music and the irreverence of the band members and yeah the uh the bond between a band and its music and its fans just before we finish so you're 54 i'm 55 so you were 29 i was 30 in 1996 and we had a festival a couple of weeks ago and that seems like a long time ago now. It was, it was a week, the weekend before last weekend. That seems like a long time ago. Your gig in this film seems like yesterday and I'm sure it feels the same way to you. And there's something yeah. that happens in that time warp, isn't there? Yeah. When things that happened quite recently seem a long, long time ago and things that happened a long time ago seem, seem like literally, not even yesterday, like, you know, an hour before. Mm. And that's, I think that's all right when you're 54, 55. I mean, it certainly was a wake-up call for me last night and I think I've had quite a few of those as, as if you have, you know, uh, between the ages of 29 and 54 in the last three decades two and a half or so but in 25 years hence now you're going to be 79 uh, and i'm going to be 80 and there's a lot more similarity a 54 year old has with a 29 year old than a 79 year old has with a mm. 54 year old and that made me really think about things mm. that i don't know what 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 do you, what are you thinking uh, about? 25 years hence well, I, 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 will, I will i will be 75 but i will I will have grafted on to me the body of a 24-year-old that I'll have bought from a, <laughs> from a lab in the Ukraine. Have grown. I'll have, I'll have the eyes of a teenage goat <laughs> and I'll have hair of a, a Arabian racehorse. Or even a rolling stone. That, that, I've, that I've grafted on to me. So I look about 26. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. But what does it make you think, though? I don't know. I don't look too far into the future right. and I don't tend to look too far into the past either. I tend to live in the moment and uh i don't know i don't know i don't know where it's going and i think i think it's uh, i think it'd be a good lesson for life is just not to i think about today and tomorrow yesterday's gone but it's nice to look back with things like this um but not today and tomorrow is my thing and uh you know i don't i, I don't 30 years from now i can't it doesn't it blows my mind where where we could eventually be you know if we're all still around anyway with global warming and all that so i don't know all right and what next for you um i am writing a new record at the moment i have about halfway through and uh, i spend the rest of the year writing and then next year i shall record what i've written and then hopefully soon uh Gig-wise, life will have turned back to normal, and I'll do a few gigs. And... and what's the best thing your career and your life has given you? The freedom to just, you know, just do whatever it is that you feel like doing. Um, I'd say, and 
yeah the freedom just to get up and go and do whatever you want yeah and uh but i've never taken my talent for granted so i always work at that every day uh i've never taken that for granted and yeah peace of mind and freedom all right thanks no thank you mate what should we play live forever or master plan uh play live forever okay in a second or two you ever dedicated a um uh an oasis song to someone on the radio before no but i would like to dedicate this to the oasis generation uh the nebworth generation sorry who are uh they'll be in their 50s now like me and chris and uh <laughs> this is uh live forever from 26 years ago the way that it was then and uh the song itself takes on a different meaning now if you think about the words you know when i wrote it i was 23 and i had all my life in front of me and it's kind of a fist bumping you know we're gonna we're gonna take on the world and we're gonna win when i now listen to this song it's kind of you're looking back over it all and saying well we did all right my generation we did all right so this is for the nebworth generation oasis nebworth 1996 is in your theaters two weeks today and you've got to get to go and see it thanks Noel. thank you mate